Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal, or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only colour fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. It's great to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And today we celebrate the life of a man who was synonymous with the black and white many years ago. He is a member of the Collingwood Team of the Century. He's a premiership player and he's a very familiar face to those of us old enough to remember his television days as well. Thorold Merritt, welcome. Thank you, Peter. Great to see you. You're looking well. Well, I feel uh, well at 83. Uh I'm magic. I've got my mother's health. She lived until till she was 88. So I hope I'm on the same train. Well, I think, <laughs> judging by the way you're looking this morning, I Thank think you, you are on the same train. How's life for you these days, Thorold? Well, it's uh, not so bad. I've, I've been very lucky with my health. And uh, I lost my wife two or three years ago. And I've got four lovely kids, a girl and three boys. And they're, uh, they're magic to me. They make sure I'm well looked after. And I've got a very close friend ne- living next door who's become a lady friend. You know, she's magic. She takes me places and I took her to the football yesterday. Oh, excellent. And we saw a Collingwood win. She's a Carlton supporter, oh, mind n- you. <laughs> now, come on, Thorold. Now, you can't do this sort can, of thing. The, the, you know, they talk about mixed, mixed marriages and mixed relationships. <laughs> uh, Collingwood and Carlton, that and can't happen. All of my first, all, all my wife's... Family were Carlton too. Her grandfather was a, the treasurer of Carlton Is that in right? 1908. And her three brothers gave me hell as a footballer, bar- barracking against Collingwood heartedly. You know, <laughs> they, they, were, they were poor relations, really. <laughs> <laughs> so were you always a Collingwood supporter from the time you were a kid or did no, you go for I another Richmond. team? Richmond. My, my cousin Leo Merritt played for Richmond. He was from the same farming district that I was brought up on. And uh, then uh, uh, Jack Dyer came to Camperdown where I went to school and I followed him around the ground wanting him to talk to me and invite me to Richmond, but he wouldn't have it. He said, you're too small, son. Mm. When you grow up a bit, I was 15 then. Within 12 months, I was playing for Collingwood. Wow. We had a Jack Murphy, who was a, a vice captain of Collingwood at the time, uh, and when he was playing, he came to, to the town as a coach, and uh, he was a good coach too. He and he had me at Collingwood the next year. It's interesting the number of people who've been told that they're too small over the years, too small and perhaps too slow. And uh, there's been a few that have been proven wrong. <laughs> One comes to mind, Tony Shaw. Yes, but what a great player he was. Uh, he uh, he was he couldn't kick, he couldn't run, and he couldn't mark, but he could ended up doing all those things very well to finish. Yeah. Yeah, I was chairman of selectors when he was, uh, uh, when he came into the team and Tommy Hafey didn't like him. He was too slow and and um, too small. But Ronnie Richards loved him mm. because there was a bit of Ronnie in in uh, Tony Shaw. He'd go in hard for the ball and always compete and uh, that made made Ronnie love him. And he pushed 
for, for Tony in the first long before he should have been there. Yeah. Mm. There was another guy that they said was a bit too slow and a bit too small, Greg Williams. I think he went all right in, in his time oh, as well. Oh, wasn't he a magic player? Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, um, when I, I... I was very fortunate. I was born into a, a football family. Leo, my, my cousin, played for, for, for Richmond and I followed him every 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 weekend and if Richmond didn't win I wouldn't go to the pictures with my mates I'd go at home and sulk <laughs> and then later on uh, uh, you know I still I still got a soft spot for Richmond and Jack Dyer uh, in my second year uh, the Gordon Carlin the secretary said now you're a regular you can have your choice of numbers these are the numbers that are available. Dun, 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 dun. 17. Oh, yeah, I'll have 17. Mm. That's a favourite number of mine. Didn't tell them because I knew how they felt about Jack Dyer. Yes. I didn't tell it was Jack Dyer, my favourite <laughs> player. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have been excommunicated right there and then. Now, you talked about your early days uh, in football and growing up. That was in Cobden? No, it wasn't in Cobden. Okay. I, I was in a t- little town... Uh, uh, on the South Australian side of Caniva. Uh, okay. Caniva was uh, the, the biggest town in the district, and uh, a lot of relations played. One of one of my uh, one of my dad's cousins, uh, Garnet Merritt, he had seventeen kids. Believe it or not, 30, thirteen of them boys, and at one stage, all of them played with Caniva. Wow. <laughs> That's a pretty good We thought the Danahers were going all right. <laughs> no television in those days. No, either. clearly there was no television. <laughs> Obviously, they didn't have a radio either. <laughs> yeah. And then we, um, lots of cousins played country football. Uh, there was a, a champion relation. His, his grandmother was my grandfather's sister. And his name was Ross Farrow, and he taught me more about football than I'd ever like to forget. Uh, he was a, a, teen, a teenager when I was growing up as a five-year-old, and he would kick the football to me and make me chase it and all that sort of thing, and uh, taught me lots of things. And as well as that, the uh, I played my first game of football f- against Caniva Primary School all the little rural schools around the district picked up a combined side and we all played against Caniva Primary School at Caniva and I was picked in the side but picked in the back pocket and I'd played any games of football I played, I was always in the forward line or on the ball. Uh, anyway, I, the first game was on, in the back pocket and I took a mark in the back pocket and I turned around and I kicked a goal for the opposition. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember that. So that was the end of that experiment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Might have been intentional for him, who knows. <laughs> Could have been. The one thing that we do know about you is that uh, for those people who saw you, they said you were the most beautiful kick. You were known for your kicking accuracy. How did that all come about? Well, uh, my dad was a farmer and I was brought up on a farm, several farms, uh, and uh, he said uh, he wasn't able to play football with me, and I was the eldest boy and, and didn't have a brother then, uh, and uh, he rigged up a, a car tyre in the fork of a big gum tree in the, on the farm near the house, uh, 
And he said, you kick the ball to that, son, and see if you can get it through every time. When you, when you, when you can get it through eight out of ten, come back to me and I'll see how you go. So I did that and I kicked the ball eventually eight out of ten. Through the regularly through the through the tire, so that was that's how I learnt to kick, and and uh, as as we were uh, on a farm, we had a couple of cows just to provide milk and cream for the family, and I'd get take the dog with me and kick the ball around the cows to <laughs> to, to hone them in and back to the milking shed, and uh, that was how I could kick a long drop kick, just through sheer necessity to get the cows in the pen. Yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, that was and another thing my father told me very uh, uh, knowingly he said when you go in for the ball go in hard and make sure you grip it in your hands and kick it to someone and make sure it doesn't come back. Well that I t- tried that as much as I could and eventually I used to kick it well out in front of my my teammates said so they'd run onto the ball and that was the way you did it. You didn't kick it to him, you kicked it in front so he ran onto the wall and that's the way I perfected it. In these days of professionalism, when everyone works so hard at doing the things and it's a full-time job, yep. do you think that the disposal of footballers these days is so much better than back in your day? Well, I think, I think, uh, I think it has to be. They're at it more and more. Um, but some of the Collingwood boys, they're young, uh, they turn the ball over far too much. But, uh, gee, they, they, they'll work at it, they'll improve. But uh, the fellows, I've got a young great-nephew playing at Essendon, Zach. Yeah, and Zach what is a player a he kick. is. Yeah. He's going to be a... Well, he's, he won their best in first in his second year and he's leading, he's, he's leading with Justin Martin... Uh, in the Herald Sun trophy at the moment, mm. joint leaders. But he didn't do so well on the weekend because they've, they learned to pick him up. Yes. And they'll shadow him from now on. Now he's got the job ahead of him. He's got a well, – he played the, a good second half, but he didn't play well in the first half. But, uh, Zach, I'm watching him. I'm a – I'm a pseudo Essendon supporter. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got Richmond, you've got Collingwood, and you've got Essendon. You've got all the bases covered. <laughs> I said to you before we started this interview, Chris Connolly, I was in the commentary box with him a couple of weeks ago watching Zach play. He said that he is the best kick that he's seen in 30 years. That is high praise indeed. Well, it's coming from, uh, coming from that man who's had lots of football uh, uh, behind him. Good Melbourne player and a good coach of Fremantle, uh, I'd like to pass that on to Zach. Mm. I will do that. I'm in touch with him regularly. I phoned him just a few days ago before that weekend match. Uh, now, um, he's, he's learnt, he, he was a, a gifted student and a gifted cricketer. If ever there was a state cricketer, it was Zach Merritt. And I umpired in the APS, and I'm still doing that. Okay. And uh, he was a magic, scored three centuries in his HSC year. Uh, and uh, uh, if ever he was, he was going to play cricket, he was a state player at least. Uh, and there we have it. another one lost to, lost to cricket. Uh, uh, football's captured him. Of course, the, the lure, of course, is the money they, mm. they get. 
but cricketer catching up with them. Well, we're talking a lot about your family, but we're going to take a break now. And when we come back, I want to talk about you and the great career that you had at Collingwood, those premierships, the team of the century. It's a delight to have Thorold Merritt as our guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We'll be back with more after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And Thorold Merritt is our special guest today on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Thorold, let's go back to 1950. As a 16-year-old, a very raw young man, and all of a sudden the big time beckoned. How did you make it to Collingwood, and when was that first big moment? Well, we uh, we had in Cobden at the time uh, Jack Murphy, who was vice-captain to Fonskine in the 40s, and uh, he came there as a coach, and... Uh, uh, I was playing in the under-18s in the early part of the season and in 1949 and uh, suddenly Jack beckoned me into the first and uh, I was so timid, not timid, timid in body. I was nine stone five. <laughs> Should have been at Flemington. <laughs> <laughs> I was a frustrated horse rider too. <laughs> but... Uh, he was, uh, I was a mad Richmond supporter, of course. My cousin Leo play, playing for uh, Richmond, he was vice-captain to Dyer and uh, uh, I followed him religiously as a, as a player. And uh, But there it was in 1950, I was in the side. Ronnie Richards got reported and lost his place in the team and uh, I was beckoned as the, the third rover to... Um, to uh, Lou Richards and Bob Rose. What a, what a pair to learn yeah. the caper from. But I only lasted one, da- one match on the, uh, uh, as a rover at Footscray and Bill Toomey kicked 11 goals nine that day and one out nine. of bounds. 11, had 12, t- 21 shots at goal. So he was full forward the next week at Melbourne. And it only lasted a half. He didn't get a kick. And they put him in the centre again, and he was best on the ground yeah. in the centre. Wow. But that was a wonderful, a wonderful exhibition, Bill Toomey. Uh, and um, a thing happened in that game. Charlie Sutton was coach, uh, coach of, uh, captain of, uh, of Footscray, and he, the crowd, or the Collingwood crowd, ran onto the ground for Bill Toomey, and they came across me on the way, and... Uh, crowded around me and Charlie Sutton said, come with me, son, you'll get killed out here. <laughs> <laughs> so that was – and but he took me up the Footscray race, <laughs> not into the Collingwood race. Enemy territory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the start of it, 1950. It didn't take you long to play in a grand final, just a couple of years. No, I, we played we played in the uh, preliminary final in 51, mm. played against Essendon, uh, uh, Reynolds was captain of, uh, of Essendon, of course, and he was playing very well, even the fi- even though he was near the finish. Uh, and I was playing on Lance Mann on the wing, and Lance Mann kicked two goals in the third quarter, and Essendon went on to win the game by five points, and I cried my eyes out in the bath after the game. Mm. Because I felt that I let the side down and I missed, missed the grand final that year. Yeah. But we're in the grand final two years later. 
Yeah. Uh, in 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 the following year. The following year as well. Against Geelong, yeah, I think, it in was. 1952. And we beat them three times in 1953 yeah. to, to win the grand final. So that loss of the grand final in 52, oh. did that instill in you oh. a feeling that did you never what? wanted to have again? Did, did it what? Yeah. I never wanted that feeling again. So I, I managed to play on that 53 flag. Yeah. What was yeah. that like as a, a Collingwood person uh, with the great and late Lou Richards and, and many of your other teammates, most of whom are gone now? Uh, what are your memories of that day? The memories of that day is that I was, I was a wingman up until that grand final and old Jock McHale picked his team, left to go home to have his tea and said to a secretary, Gordon Carline, my team's in an envelope there. If they change it, they'd better not see me. So he, no one was going to change the side, but he picked Ronnie Richards on the wing and me on the half forward flank because he felt that Lou was a bit slow to rove against the, the best in the business, Pianto and Tresice. Mm. So I was picked as a third rover and uh, Ronnie Richards got best on the ground and now it's history. And uh, that was uh, uh, that was portrayed in Lou's book. And, uh, and uh, But the interesting thing, that McHale picked his team and no one was going to change it. Yeah. Yeah. What sort of coach was he, Thorold? Was well, he see, dictatorial he, or...? He was... He was he only spoke one word to me, uh, one sentence to me, and that was I was injured in 50, 54 and uh, I came back to play and he said, are you right, Merritt? And kept walking. I, I said, yes, Mr McHale, I'm all right. But that's, he was a, he wasn't coach in my time. Fonce Kine was the coach right from the very, because they had an upheaval on the committee in that time when when Bourbon Woods was appointed coach and all the supporters wanted Fonce Kine and Fonce was eventually, uh, the committee resigned, there was a new committee appointed and Fonce Kine was elected coach and old jock retired and was chairman of match committee. Mm, but he was still a huge influence oh, around the club. He was. And everybody walked on eggshells, I guess, That's when right, he was around. Exactly. Oh, look, he was... He was, uh, and of course he did. He didn't live. He, he died at the end of '53, mm. uh, when we were away on a football trip, and all the committee came back to go to the funeral, and we stayed on in lovely Tasmania. <laughs> <laughs> what about that era in the '50s? The rivalry with Melbourne, in particular, was uh, something well, that was fierce. Probably the the fiercest rivalry in the game. Oh, look! It was. It was. Uh, um, Melbourne were a champion team. They had big, strong fellows and they played the game hard. As a matter of fact, um, uh, I can remember playing on... He's uh, a half-back flanker, not McMahon. Uh, there was another fellow. Anyway, he he was playing right on my shoulder and didn't let me get a step out uh, out of place. And he came over the top of me, punched the ball away, and I went sprawling on the ground, my hands out in front of me, and he stood on my hand. And I said, you big ape, fancy standing on a player's hand. Only a young fellow 
never ever happened to me before where a player deliberately stood on my hand and uh, uh, I didn't ever let him forget that. Mm. And uh, I played on him a number of times. So I guess then with all of those things that went on between Collingwood and Melbourne, that 1958, was was that the sweetest moment of your career to to end that dominance of Melbourne in that premiership it year? It certainly was. That was the, uh, the first to be in a premiership team and uh, I was judged by some as best on the ground that day and not only that, win a premiership, best on the ground in the grand final and the Copeland Trophy. Yes. That was my best year by far and it was a wonderful feeling to, to be with those. See, we all started together. We're all young. I was, I was the youngest, but Frank Tuck and Ron Kingston and Peter Lucas, they're all in their early 20s and we, we, learnt, we learnt to love one another and appreciate, play for one another. And we didn't ever let that leave our, our minds. And that was the thing that won us the premiership. Not only was it our, our togetherness, but it was the, um, the Fonskine speech that day. I could recite it almost word for word for years after that because it was most inspiring. We, when we ran out the race, we went, went out as one and committed committed to win the game because he, in his speech he mentioned the Coventries, the Colliers and uh, all those famous names that had gone before us. We'd be letting them down as well as ourselves and our families down and all this emotional stuff mm. that he was reciting. And that, that was the greatest impetus for our to, to win that game and we, we did it well. It's interesting when speeches like that are invoked, Thorold, because they can take players one of two ways. They can inspire you like they did with your team or they can instil in players a fear of letting everybody down. And that can be a very powerful thing sometimes. It's a very dangerous tack. Yeah. But uh, it didn't, it didn't, it had, he was a most inspiring speaker, Fonskine, and uh, I I loved him all the time I was there because he had an effect on me. Yeah. Yeah. You touched on something about winning the best and fairest in that year. The Brownlow Medal is obviously the individual award that they talk about, but they often say that the measure of a player, if you can win a best and fairest in a premiership year, yes. that's as well yeah. as you can do as an individual. And well, you must have been very proud of that. I, I certainly was. And my parents gave up so much of their time to get, to get me there. And I felt proud for them, mm. as, as most players do. Uh, like the boys, my little great nephews that are playing at Essendon at the moment. Uh, their father, if he was still alive, would say their grandfather rather would would be so proud of them, mm. and his, as his uh, as his mother and father are at the moment. They're lovely people. There was a lovely article in the in the Age uh, about Cathy, uh, uh, Zach, and uh, Jack's mother. Yeah, she's a lovely girl. She's a and. If ever someone deserves an a, a ounce of luck, mm. it's her because she's done so much for them as their father has done. And speaking of doing so much, two premierships, but it was only a couple of years later you retired. You had injury issues. What was it that eventually made you call time on your career, Thorold? Well, uh, I was, um, as, as you know, I'm still small. <laughs> and uh, the doctor said to me, Kevin Hendrickson, 
our, our club doctor, uh, when, when the time came to make the decision, he said, you're only a small player. He said, if, you, if you've lost any pace at all, it could, you, should, you, you could get badly injured. So that, I, I was just starting in business, married with a couple of kids, and uh, um, my future was in the business world, and I had to make a decision. And with all of those things combined in my mind, uh, I decided to quit having not recovered from a broken leg. Uh, it was my left leg and uh, it was uh, pretty well uh, unhealed. It was badly broken uh, and I had, had to, I was in plaster for seven months and uh, didn't recover. Mm. So that was the reason I had to, had to retire. What a brilliant career it was on the field. But when we take a break and come back, I want to talk about that business life that you spoke about. And I want to also talk about your life in television because you came, you became a very familiar face to a lot of us. Thorold Merritt is our special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We'll be back with more after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And what a pleasure it is to have Thorold Merritt as my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Thorold, before we get on to your business life and your television life, one more thing about your playing career. must have been a very proud moment when you were named in the Collingwood team of the century. Well, I was invited as, uh, to that function, never dreaming that I'd, I'd be in the team because there were so many good players in my time, Diz Healy, um, Bill Toomey, neither of those fellows were picked in it and I thought they'd be ahead of me by a street. And uh, so when, when my name was called out, it was a complete surprise and uh, and Lou never, ever let me forget it. <laughs> as he, as, uh, and I must speak about Lou while I've got a moment. Yes. Uh, he said to me, I was shirt-fronted by Ted Jarrard in my third game at Victoria Park and I was completely winded and Lou was on the ball and I'm on the wing and he came up alongside me and said, get up off the ground, you little black bastard. He said, you're playing for the other side while you're lying down there. <laughs> <laughs> and that was typical of Lou yeah. and his leadership. And uh, you gave him a good send-off a couple of weeks oh, ago. Oh, yeah, it was magnificent. Yeah. It was a lovely service at St Paul's and uh, we went down to the Holden Centre after after the uh, the ceremony and uh, but the eulogies were magnificent. Mm. His kid kids speak spoke well of him. Ron Joseph, I thought, spoke oh, beautifully. Wasn't that a magic? Yeah, he must have read everything that Lou ever wrote. Yeah, and he remembered it, and you uh, you said it with distinction. Yeah. yeah. He was an extraordinary man, not only for football, but uh, he was a, a trailblazer in lots of ways. And uh, you working in television, we're going to talk about that in a moment, but what he did for football and television and entertainment oh. can't be overestimated. Oh, yes, his magic. And I used to love watching he he and Bob Davis and Jack. Yeah. And uh, I can't go without re relating the story, one of Jack's best lines ever. When Lou was asking him a question, he... This is on league teams. This is on league teams, yeah. yes. I'd watch them all every week and get a laugh out of them every, every time I saw them. Jack was sitting there with his hand over his mouth 
Mm. And Jack, Lou said, what have you got your hand over your mouth for, Jack? We can't hear what you're saying. And Jack, uh, uh, Jack with his whimsical look in his eye, said, I've left my false teeth at home, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that just about sums up that show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had the pleasure of sitting in the studio a few I times when did. that, that yeah. show was uh, on, and I don't think I quite realised at the time how lucky I was, but oh, uh, yeah. it was phenomenal. Yeah. I used to get a laugh out of that. My wife used to think I was quite stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about your television side of things because after the, your playing days, you did go on to be yes, on television. Yes, I was, I was appointed coach of the thirds for two weeks. The ABC hadn't approached me then. Uh, I worked for them during the finals of the 1960 season and uh, and they came. they started their panel shows in 1961. And Ken Dakin, the boss of the ABC mm. Sport, he uh, offered me a contract. And the Collingwood committee had offered me uh, a, a modest sum of eight pounds a week to coach the thirds. The ABC came with an offer of 30 pounds a week. Oh. To be, there was no contest, was there? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and that ended up being uh, about 80 pounds a week by the time I finished. Uh, but it was a wonderful experience because I was with my great mate Roy Wright, who yes. was a Brownlow medalist, uh, who I played state football with and uh, and used to watch Lou and Jack and, and Bob Davis so much that I, I learned a few tricks from them. You can't be serious every day of your life. Yes. You've got to have a bit of a levity. So uh, that I, I copied from them. Uh, but it was... It was terrifying when I first started. I mean, it's lovely being here in the studio and being relaxed by you, but but the the heartache of my my early days in television, being afraid of the camera, until Harry Beitzel said one night, he said, "Don't ever, don't worry about the camera. Imagine you're sitting at home talking to your mother and father yeah. in the lounge room, yeah. and that was the key." Now, I'm sure another thing that would have caused a bit of applause over the years is a segment called Champion Kick. For those of us who are old enough to remember it on World of Sport, there'll be a lot of people saying, what was that? Tell us what it was. Well, it was a, 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 a segment that Ron Casey so astutely uh, uh, organised as he did most things in his life. Uh, but he had Bruce Andrew, who used to have his hair... Parted with a Theon light, yes. <laughs> and Jim Cleary, who was the best drop kick in the game, yeah. and little old me, who who could stab kick a ball. Anyway, that was why we were selected as judges by Katie, and it was our our uh, thrill to be associated with all those guys on World of Sport. Uh, it was a magic feeling, mm. and uh, one of the uh, champions of that time was. Um, Paul Viner, who kicked a drop kick. They had a series of fellows who kicked drop kicks, stab passes, and at a target. Uh, and uh, it's the handball target on television that it is today. And that was magnificent. So a drop kick, a punt kick, and or torpedo, and a stab pass. And Paul Viner kicked 80, no, 78 yards nine inches uh, in that competition. And 
Colin Tully kicked a, a torpedo uh, um, 95 metres. So that, they were big kicks. Now, today, the commentators applaud the players who kicked 50 metres out from goal with that arc. They, they barely kick 50 metres. Yeah. Some of them don't make the distance. Now, I say that the reason for that is is the footwear they use. Now, I sh- shouldn't say this because I, I made a lot of money out of, in business with the help of the lovely uh, Adidas and Puma and those sort of people, and they are the recipients of the large contracts they supply to the league, and I shouldn't criticise them, but their footwear is like slippers. Ours were hard toe, ankle grabbers, mm. and we could kick the ball a long way. Uh, but today, they're kicking the ball barely 50, sometimes 60, and every now and again you'll get a um, the fellow that played for St Kilda, I've forgotten his name at the moment. The uh, one, Jeff Ferring. Ferring. Jeff Ferring. Ferring, who kicked it from the middle of the ground. Yeah. Now, speaking of that, you mentioned a name there, Colin Tully. Yeah. I reckon I remember Colin Tully kicking a goal from the middle of the MCG one day. Is that right? Yes, he took – He took. Uh, we were covering the game, the ABC. He took two steps out of the centre circle where they had the, bounced the ball. Yeah. And he kicked a torpedo at the Rich, Richmond Punt Road end yep. through the goals yeah. into the crowd. Now, that's a long way. Yeah, and that's a long time ago too. <laughs> yeah. You talked about uh, the fact that you made some money out of the, the boot manufacturers because you formed a business partnership with another very famous name in Australian sport. And a lovely man. Lindsay Hassett. A lovely man. He was a, he was an inspiration to me and he could turn – his wit was magnificent. He had a beautiful turn of wit and he, he uh, I can – See, hear him listening, listening to him now, broadcasting cricket. Yeah, and he would a husky voice, a champion deliverer of the English language, and he would be worth listening to, even today. Mm. Yeah, and that partnership was very that, successful. Oh, it was very for successful, you. and he he retired and moved to Batemans Bay to uh, satisfy his wife's desire to paint. She was a great painter, and uh, Lindsay retired at the age of 60, and uh, he, um, I took over the business and uh, had a very successful 10 or 15 years there, uh, and uh, I just tre- cherished those moments. Well, you talked about making some money out of the uh, footwear brands. I can tell you one thing. You made some money out of my family because my very first pair of Adidas boots, I remember because it became all the rage, that I said to my dad, I had to get a pair of Adidas boots to play footy. Mm. And I remember going into the city and meeting Mr. Hassett and we bought the first pair of Adidas boots yeah. from your yeah. store. Marvellous. Yeah. Was that Burke Street? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we had a uh, wonderful 10 years there uh, and we had, end up with 11 branches, mm. 11 shops, one in Tasmania, one in Ballarat, one in Geelong and the rest in the suburbs of Melbourne. And you stayed on with uh, Rebel Sport, was part of your yeah, life for a long yes, time as I, well? I, was, I spent the last 10 years of my life with the big Rebel brand. They, uh, they were a magic company to work for. They were the first public company to come into the trade. It was all um, family businesses like mine until that, that period that uh, they were in there. And, and, of course, it's all big companies now. Mm. 
We've got one segment to go with uh, Thorold Merritt, our very special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives, and we'll be back with our final segment on the other side of this break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And what a great sporting life we're celebrating today. The great Thorold Merritt from Collingwood, Collingwood Team of the Century member. Uh, you talked about uh, life today. Thorold, what, uh, what keeps you occupied apart from trying to keep the peace between the Collingwood and Carlton warring factions <laughs> at the moment? Well, well, my, my wife was a mad uh, Carlton fan. Her grandfather was the treasurer of Carlton in the early 1900s. Yeah. And her three brothers gave me hell while I was playing <laughs> for Collingwood against Carlton. Uh, but that was uh, my pleasure, <laughs> not theirs. <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, but the, um, the, the, the period of uh, um, my lovely wife who passed away about three years ago, mm. Uh, mother of four children, uh, it was a great period in our life, and uh, and I've become very close friends with a woman who lives next door to us. Yeah, and she happens to be a Carlton supporter. Yeah, well, I still can't believe that. I well, just tolerate it, Peter. All right, because I've I've got to do it. She's my next door neighbour and a very close friend. Well, now. I'd like to have a word to you about this, Thorold, <laughs> but obviously there's no changing your mind about this. You chase the little white ball around. I know you like oh, your golf. Yeah, I you're love playing it. much. Yeah, I, I reached a handicap of 13, which was uh, a bit flattering for me. Really, I was a bit <laughs> wild. I used to hit the ball a long way from a little fella, but but uh, that ca- came to me. One of the fellows, one of my partners in Lindsay's business, Keith Richardson, was an A pennant golfer for Woodlands, and uh, he was only my size, and he used to hit the ball 300 yards in those days, mm. you know, back about 20 years ago. Uh, so I tried to emulate him, and uh, well, I didn't succeed. <laughs> well, I wasn't as accurate as him. He yeah. could pinpoint a drive, you know, 300 yards. And then putt or pitch close to the pin and a great putter. Mm. Yeah, it was wonderful. How do you think the pies are going at the moment? I know you were at the Brisbane game uh, last weekend and uh, you got together with a few of your old teammates there as well. Yeah, we had a life members dinner. Eddie puts on a, a life members dinner every every interstate team that comes up with a poor following. He he has room at his luncheon to have us players along, <laughs> and he's a great host. Eddie, uh, he he comes over well, uh, and he he's really involved me in uh, a few things. I I'm a selector in the Hall of Fame, and in the life in recommending fellows for life, life membership, and it's a great thrill to be given that honour. Uh, anyway, Eddie has us there yesterday. And I'm watching the boys and I I just am dismayed at how many times they turn the ball over. Mm. Now, they're only young, I know that, and it'll probably come to them all of a sudden. Uh, but Trelaw is a brilliant player, but he turns the ball over. He's not accurate enough with his kicking. He needs to spend time kicking it. Maybe I'll bring that tyre along. That and Dad the cows. Put. Yeah. That, 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 <laughs> yeah, I was telling Peter before off camera that uh, that uh, as, as a kid I was um, 
my dad worked on a farm and we had a couple of cows there or three or four cows and I used to have to round them up. I'd take the dog with me yeah. and the football and kick the drop kick around the right-hand side, then around the left-hand side to, to herd them up in the cow pen. So that's where the drop kicking came into into being. Well, if ever I'm driving down Olympic Boulevard, as it's called now, with Collingwood's training ground, and I see a tyre hanging from a tree, and I see a couple of crow, uh, cows grazing on that ground, <laughs> I know that you've been around. <laughs> Just one last thing. Do you reckon Nathan Buckley's the man for the pies? Uh, I'm not sure. And I'm, I'm sure I speak for lots of Collingwood people. He, The only thing I have in my mind that maybe being a, a great player that he was, a magnificent player, he's second to Bob Rose as the best player I've seen at Collingwood. Mm. And and I I'm just don't know whether he has the art of communicating directly to those well, fellas as well as he should. Now, if I'm wrong, I'd be humble enough to admit it and I hope that he gets the job again. But he's had an extension, and if he doesn't make the finals this year, I think it's curtains. Mm. What a delight it's been to sit down for the last hour and talk to you. 83 years young. We've got a lot to be thankful for with you, um, that great career at Collingwood, those wonderful moments on television, and for me, those first pair of Adidas football boots. <laughs> Thorold, it's been great. great to sit down and have a chat to you. We wish you continued good health and uh, a wonderful life, and hopefully you'll get to enjoy Zach and Jackson and also a bit of Collingwood in there over the years to come. Yeah, won't miss them. Thanks for coming in and having a chat to us. Thank you, Peter. Thorold Merritt joining us. What a great program this has been. A delight to have the great Thorold Merritt as our guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And we'll be back same time next week with another great guest on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91